Sneas, that is our battle cry. Sneas, that's what we do or die. Sneas, cover your knees, cover your shoulder and elbow and thigh. All right, and welcome, welcome, <laughs> welcome to Jewish Boy Calls His Mother. That was my mother, Ima, giving the good old-fashioned Sneas battle cry. Uh, in case anyone is wondering who's not Jewish or is Jewish and is not affluent with the culture, uh, Tznias uh, really means, um, I'm trying to find the good English term for it, modesty. Modesty. Modesty, yeah. So we, we have, there are rules in Judaism where we have to conduct ourselves in the form of modesty. And, and modesty rules kind of changed over years. Uh, for instance, there was a great rabbi named uh, Rambam or Maimonides who felt that uh, it was immodest for a woman to walk outside alone and not being escorted by a man. Uh, and he was living in Egypt during the time, 1100s, I think, or 1200s. Um, so this was during Islamic rule, well, still is Islamic rule over Egypt. And so there were kind of rules that shifted towards Islamic culture that Judaism took upon themselves. Um, now, in Jews and American culture, we have our own rules of conduct. Um, but what's funny is that the rules of conduct changed from the 1950s to even today. Uh, for instance, there's rules where you have to, woman, a married woman should cover her hair. And there wasn't that many religious women back in the day that did cover their hair. Um, but over time, people became more and more stringent. Um, well, actually, what's, what's very interesting is the Rebbe came out around 1960 saying that um, from Jewish women should cover their hair. And he said, preferably when you go out in public, it's preferable to have a wig uh, rather than a kerchief because he says um, the real halacha is to cover as much hair as possible. And with a kerchief, you, you want to look attractive. And the Rebbe, by the way, acknowledged that the Rebbe always said that a Jewish woman should go out of her way to look attractive. Um, and he said, but when you wear a kerchief, or a hat, you want to show a little bit of hair to look nice. Whereas if when you wear a wig, you have a more of a tendency to push your hair in to not show as much of your real hair. And ironically, right around 1960, after he said that, uh, there came this real, I don't know what it was, there came like, oh, it became fashionable uh, for the, for, not exactly for women to wear wigs, but somehow the wig industry really took off. I used, I, that's when you saw a lot of advertisements of women wearing wigs. You even had like television programs. Uh, I remember some comedy programs where um, some woman in the program, some character decided that she didn't like her hair and would look better as a blonde or something. And so she bought a wig and her husband, this was like some of the, one of the, I think it was car 54, where are you or something like that where his wife put on this blonde wig and he actually became more attracted to her when she was wearing this real sexy blonde wig. So that's ironic how that, how, the, how just the whole fashion of women wearing wigs really took off during the sixties. Well, I was going to ask you actually, you know, when you were growing up, um, compare, being, I know you grew up as, as conservative, but I think there was still a level of, of laws of Tznias that I remember you telling me growing up that you had to do, like you had to wear, a hat when you left the house, you had to wear gloves, but, but like in the 60s, it kind of disintegrated. Can you no, no, that, not, that, not by the 50s. Actually, I'll tell you an interesting story. Uh, the, a proper lady not going out without hat and gloves was before World War II. 
after World War II, that kind of, I don't know, it kind of got forgotten. But I remember, though, in the 50s, the only time we wore a hat and gloves we, was when we went to synagogue or when we went someplace fancy. And my mother would dress, it was me and my sisters, we were three girls, my mother would dress us up in these cute little white hats and these uh, very delicate white gloves. And then, in the, you're right, though, you're right, though, but this, by the 60s, we even stopped doing that, I remember. But I remember being very little in the early 50s, my mother dressing me up like that. But I'll tell you an interesting story that happened. Um, when I was in college, I had a professor who graduated Goucher in 1936, a, a math professor. And she told us that at Goucher, if a girl was seen on the street without her hat and gloves, it was automatic compulsory expulsion from the school. Wow. Mm-hmm. Jeez. And if, you, and so if you look at some movies, look at some movies from the 1930s, and you'll see that when girls and women are about to go out, like downtown or something, they put on their hat and gloves. Maybe yeah, I think, you won't. I, think maybe, I do remember yeah, seeing, like, maybe old, you won't like, catch, movies. Yeah. Maybe, a lot of people, I don't think, catch that. But if you stop to think about it, watch some of these old movies, and you'll see that of women putting on hat and gloves before they go out in the street. So, so what was it like for you, you know, in the 70s, when you started becoming more observant, that you started following more Tznias rules? Like, how, how, what was the difference between, like, wearing whatever you wanted and not really caring to realizing that there's this, some underlying rules that you feel like are, are important to follow? Well, this is interesting because before a person becomes from, you don't have a sense of dressing immodestly. You don't think you're dressing immodestly at all. You just, you're just wearing what everybody, you're just wearing the shorts and the tank tops and you don't even think about it. And then when you become religious and you start dressing more modestly, then you think back, you go, oh my gosh, it, you know, it didn't, it does, it's like, it says, like it says in the, in the Torah, when Adam and Chava ate from the Eitz Adas, and they suddenly realized that they were naked. It's almost the same thing. It's like, hey, I, I didn't realize how much of myself I was actually ex, uh, exposing. But when I was, when I'm, I got to laugh about, though, is I remember when I was in college, there was a girl, and this is hysterical, this was a girl who prided herself on being a religious Christian. She was the head of the student, I think, the student Baptist group. And this girl always wore a very low-cut tank top. And right there in her cleavage was this cross. Now, <laughs> I guess I'm trying to figure this one out. Well, I, I, think, I think what's interesting, and this is something I, I kind of noticed, and I, I'll, I guess I'll ask you in a form of a question, but do you think Sneas makes you more aware of your sexuality? That's interesting. I think so too, because um, what I, there were a few things that I liked about being Sneas. One of the things I liked about it was I actually felt more comfortable um, in, the, in the warm weather and the cold weather, I was, you know, warmer. In the, in the warm weather, in the hot weather, I actually felt cooler because I would wear, I would wear something that, was, that, would, that um, covered me to the elbow or covered me below the knees, but I would wear something that was light. And so it's like your skin is protected. It's you, you really feel, in a sense, like a little cooler. Um, also, I like the fact that um, when I put on a skirt, I actually felt more feminine in a skirt. Hmm. 
And some guy, when I, um, one time I was in an opera, um, this was before I started taking on Cineas, I was not religious yet, so I was singing, I was singing in the chorus of this opera, and uh, we were wearing these long, long peasant skirts that were almost to the ground. And some guy said to me, you know, when you put on that skirt, somehow you make me feel more like a man, and I feel more like you are a woman. <laughs> He said it's like, you know, it was like an e almost like an ego thing. He felt like, oh, wow, you know, he felt that I was more attractive, actually, in a skirt. Do you think, now this is something that I think some people might feel, do you think Sneas, at some point in your life, you felt that Sneas was maybe oppressive or maybe trying to control women? Not at all. No. It's, um, um, actually, compared to many other cultures, the Jewish idea of Sinaeus is really quite liberal when you think about it. I mean, we just, like I said, the standards are, you know, two finger breaths below the elbow, four finger breaths below the bottom of the knee, and the collarbone covered. And you have many cultures in the world where for a woman to be Sinaeus, she has to wear a chedora or a hijab or a whole burka, you know, having her whole face covered. And you know, we don't have that unless, but remember we were talking, I was telling you before the podcast about uh, your sister's friend who had just come from Iran and in Muslim countries, uh, Jewish girls and women living in Muslim countries um, have to conform to the, to the culture and they have to dress like Muslim women. So her mother... <laughs> not realizing this, they had just gotten off the plane from Iran. Her mother sent her to Beis Yaakov with a hijab. And of course the girl comes in and all the girls look at her and go, what are you doing? You don't have to wear that here. So the next day the girl comes in without the hijab and she told them all that she came home, she threw off the hijab and she yelled at her mother, none of the girls are wearing this. Well, what's, what's funny you said that, how like, you know, other cultures, but... I want to really focus on there, unfortunately, and this is what talking about Sneas of today, has gotten a little out of hand. Um, there was a viral video that went out a couple of years ago of this, this uh, school in Lakewood where they were measuring the little girl's hair and that if it was too long, they, had, they were forced to cut it. If not, they wouldn't be allowed back into school. Listen, uh, I think that quite honestly, as an individual, I think that's very extreme. Quite honestly though, you know, we live in a country where it's a free country Schools, as I've heard, you know, schools and communities are free to want to make their own standards. As far as I'm concerned, if you're sending your kid to a school like that, if you don't like it, you've got the freedom to pull your kid out and send them to another school. Yeah, but then when you have all schools doing it the same exact time, you really don't, you're really at a rock and hard place. You can't even do anything. I don't think that's ever going to happen, especially, especially by Jews. You know, the old joke, get two Jews together, you get three opinions. And the, the joke about the Jew and the, um, the Jewish man on the uh, desert island. Oh, I know the that two, one. Yeah, with the two huts. Well, and they ask him, they go, what do you have those two huts for? He goes, oh, this is the show where I dive and this is the show where I don't dive. And Jews are a very individualistic thinking group. And I, I can, you know, I would be willing to bet money that I can never picture any place where all the schools are going to be the same and be like that. Uh-uh. You go to any city where there's a large Jewish community, you find every type of Jewish school there. 
well, what are we doing this for anyways? Why are we even being sneers? What's like, if, if I went to a nudist colony and everybody was naked, but we accepted it for what it was, like, it, it, people wouldn't even think twice of looking at a naked person because they would just see it as human flesh. They won't even sexualize it. I think when you constantly sexualize something and you constantly you know, bring up the idea of gender roles and things like that, you, you create the sexual tension and you, you cause more problems than there, than there are, no? Obviously, you're playing, you're playing devil's advocate. Uh, yeah, a little um, bit. But um, we, the thing is about Cineas, to keep in mind, is that we're dressing not because the human body is evil or we're trying to hide our sexuality, because we're not. We're dressing to be, the idea is being dignified. We dress, God is everywhere, we respect God, and we dress in a respectful way. And this is something you and I discussed, remember we were talking about immodest dress in the concert hall, immodest dress you know, in the workplace. Um, I think in general, when you walk into an office, if the people in the office are dressed in a dignified manner, where you're not seeing half their chest, where, you know, if a woman bends over the desk, half her breast isn't falling out, because I've, I've heard stories about this, you know, women in, in the, the workplace like this, that if you walk into a place where people are dressed in a dignified way, it affects the whole decorum there. And this goes also, remember, we were also discussing the idea of Tineas for men, that men should dress in a dignified manner. Quite honestly, I can't, I went to, I told you the story that I went to this Orthodox Jewish house where I had to drop off something for one of their kids. And the father answered the door. I was so embarrassed. I mean, yeah, he was wearing a t-shirt. He was wearing sits, he's wearing a yarmulke and he's wearing these tight, tight, little white shorts. It wasn't underwear, but it could have darn well passed for it. They were obviously some jogging shorts. And I was, I was extremely embarrassed. And I'll tell you, when I see like um, videos of say, con uh, say men who are like rock and rock and roll, you see a lot of rock and roll concerts where performers are performing, men are performing like with either no shirts on or sleeveless. I'm sorry, but I don't want to see their hairy armpits. I want to enjoy the music. I, and the I, same, yeah, and the same way we were talking also about female concert artists. And I'm not talking about rock and roll. I'm talking about serious classical um, concert pianists and violinists. You go on YouTube and you see the most shocking get-ups that some of these concert perform, female concert performers are wearing. And it totally distracts from the performance. I have seen some amazing performances on YouTube of like Tchaikovsky's Piano Concerto Number no. 1. And what killed it was that the woman who performed it was wearing this dress, this white dress that was so tight, you could actually see her underwear through it. And it was so cut out that you can actually see the, you know, the top of her backside. I mean, that, come on. Then there was another thing on YouTube. This young uh, protege, this young female, also, again, piano concert performer. And the 
title of the performance wasn't such and such gives fantastic performance of Gershwin's Rhapsody in Blue. No, it was such and such performs Rhapsody in Blue in skimpy outfit. The idea of the whole thing wasn't her tremendous musicianship, which was amazing. It was the fact that she performed it in a skimpy outfit. Well, you're going to have also issues with the media who, if you look, if they're trying to interview a man, they're not going to ask him, oh, what are you wearing? But with women, it seems to be clothing seems to be a real main focal point where it's, they're always asking, oh, what are you wearing this? Are you wearing that? And whatever happened to maybe ignoring the clothing and maybe even focusing on the person and trying to get to that position. And I think from what I can tell from what you said previously, you seem to be talking about how that if you dress modestly, then, you know, it, it, you'll be, you'll, they'll focus more on you and not on your sexuality. But that, that doesn't seem to be true a lot of times when you have stories, you know, with people that who dress modestly and who act modestly still wind up being sexually assaulted. So sexual assault has nothing whatsoever to do with what you're wearing or anything like that. A sexual assault is an act of violence. And it's as simple as that. It's just an act of violence. It's a crime. And it's not, it has nothing whatsoever, it has nothing whatsoever to do with how anyone is dressing. This has been proven by, beyond a doubt. So if you wanted to, I guess, conclude, and we're not concluding just yet, but if you want to conclude from what you've just said, what is the advantage of dressing Tzniyas and being modest? Um, I, think, I think the whole point is dignity. Respect and dignity. I'll tell you, there's a, I'll give you an example. There's a concert performer who is amazing. Her name is Martha Algridge. And even as a young teenager, when she performed, she always, always dressed modestly. And she has been acclaimed as one of the greatest concert artists of the 20th and 21st century. And whenever you read any comments about her, it's always focusing in on what a fantastic musician she is and what a wonderful human being she is. And she's a very, and she was as a teen, you know, she's a she's a nice looking lady as a teenager. She was a very, you know, very obviously a young teenager, twenties, thirties, very very beautiful young woman, but she knew how to dress in a dignified way. Okay. And and she brought that with her. She brought that sense of dignity with her. Now, out of curiosity, then, like, how did you raise your children? with Cineas, what did you do to get them to become modest enough to have self-respect and things like that? Hmm, that's a very good question. What did I do? Hmm, let me think, let me think. Nothing, nothing I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I, I took, an, I took a, an example from a very good friend of mine. When I first became from, I was, uh, these very nice people were my Shabbos family that I would come to every Shabbos. And the way that this woman would raise her daughters was not, oh, you better dress in this, you know, or, you know, this is a, you know, you don't dress like this, you don't do this. No, she introduced the idea of Sinias to her daughters in a very, very positive way. When they, usually when a girl is three years old is when they start to switch from 
somewhere between three to five. They start to switch from pants gradually to um, skirts that go below the knee. And when they're about five or six is when you start wanting them to dress, at least for going to shul, in, um, in sleeves that go to the elbow. Some, some parents uh, prefer if the girls, if it's not shul, if it's just every day, they don't mind a little sleeve. But that's when you want to start to wean them away from uh, the idea of sleeveless. And the way that she did it was she told them, you're growing up. Isn't this wonderful? You're getting to be a, a young lady. And now because you're growing up, you're getting older, you're going to get to dress just like Ema. And her daughters were actually excited as young kids that they were, that they were, it was like a coming of age for them. It was like, um, how can I say it? Like a mark of honor that now they were getting older and they were going to be, be able to dress just like their mother, like a, you know, like a real adult. Okay. Of course, right. when they're teenagers, unfortunately, and I, <laughs> when they're teenagers, it, you know, it's one of these things where, um, when they get to be teenagers, they're starting to make their own decisions. It's like, you can, you can tell, you know, you can, you can, you know, I don't believe, I never believed it was a good idea to come down heavily on my kids. And if they were, you know, as they're teenagers, like they're trying to establish their identity. And I would say to them, you know, look, I said, you know, our standards, please, I'd appreciate very much if you would, you know, dress a little more tenaciously, you know, it is a sign of dignity, but there comes a point where they make their own decisions. And uh, yeah, you just, just hope the, you know, the best thing is to set an example for your kids. And you just hope that they follow in the, what you feel is the best, is the good way that you're trying to raise them. Okay. Well, I think that concludes our session. Um, yeah, I think that was very good. Um, thank you so much, everybody, for listening. And hopefully we'll talk to you in about a week. So be Cineas and see us again. Uh, <laughs> you, you two boys and I, I, men. I, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> All right, Emma, I love you very much. Love you too, honey. Have a good job. Bye-bye. Hi, thank you for listening. Be sure to subscribe and share. I really appreciate it. And my mother does as well. <laughs>